Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Well, hello Australia and welcome to My Millennial Money. We're doing a, a campfire chat and my name's Glenn James and I'm joined by Vince Scully. Vince, what do you think of this new music we've got? It's pretty cool. It's put me in the mood for some marshmallows over the fire. Yeah. So if you are new to the show, this is a, a type of chat. We've done a couple of these, Vince and myself, and they're really informal. They're barely edited. Um, they're a bit longer form and they're really... They're not set at beginner level per se. Like, we might pull up and talk about um, some of the beginner concepts, but Vince and I are basically just having a bit of a, a campfire chat around anything to do with kind of investing, and uh, we've got a couple of things that we'll cover at this campfire. Vince, I want to talk about, uh, because we did the other campfire chat that was, I think, episode 410B, and lots of reviews in the Facebook group. Yeah, 410B. And what happened A? Well, A is the 410 ah. on the Tuesday, and the Thursday show is B. Uh, and if there's three shows in a week, we call it C. Ah, not part three, now, 3D. Yeah. So I want to talk about platforms because there was a bit of question about platforms, so mm-hmm. we can get into that. And we're not uh, talking platform nine and three quarters here. No, that's right. And I want to talk about investing in company and trusts, but within Mm -hmm. the platform chat, we might talk a little bit about CGT and actually have a live case study that Mm -hmm. Rebecca put up in the Facebook group. And then we might talk about, you know, investing inside super or outside. And Mm -hmm. uh, I've got got a pen and paper in front of me, so we can kind of just um, take this wherever we go. Sure. But do you have any... And everyone, Vince Scully is the CEO and head Sherpa at Life Sherpa. Um, and yeah, do you have any opening kind of comments or thoughts just around this whole platform piece or from the comments that you saw in the Facebook group? Is there anything you want to just kind of address or want to yeah. cover today? Yeah, I mean, I think platforms are very misunderstood and um, I'm not sure the industry's done a particularly good job at explaining them. Um, and historically they potentially have been expensive. But to my mind, once you get serious about investing, and I would say, you know, if you've got a $20,000 portfolio and you're adding $500 or $1,000 a month, you probably are now time to get aboard the platform train. And a platform is, it's a, it's a service. It comes with some software and it gives you a few things. It, the, the biggest and most important of which it gives you access to wholesale unlisted funds. Um, so most portfolios, 
will need to have a mixture of listed ETFs or LICs or companies or funds and some unlisted ones. And there's plenty of software around like ShareSite that works well on a pure listed basis. It solves sort of 95% of the problem. Mm. But when you mix in some unlisted funds um, and if you're dripping money in, it's going to save you money on brokerage. You need to have access to the, the wholesale back end for these fund managers, which does a few things. One usually gets you wholesale pricing, so your MER will usually fall. And more importantly, for most people, it solves the problem that many of these funds have minimum investments, and some of them are as high as half a million dollars, which clearly doesn't make sense when you're trying to get some diversification. So by investing through a platform, you effectively get access to that without having to have half a million dollars. And then the final one that it gives you, just like I just finished this one, the final thing it gives you is um, tax accounting and reporting, which will save you a fortune when it comes to year end. Um, you know, all you have to do is pay your accountant an hour or two's work to fix up your CGT and you'll have saved your platform fee. Um, particularly if you're you know, buying little bits every month, you're in the DRP and you're rebalancing periodically. That just creates a CGT nightmare, which will come back to bite you at some point. Mm. And the platform solves that problem. So I think it's important to first kind of address what a lot of people might be thinking. Um, you know, a lot of these online money groups and um, different, I guess, influencers or finfluencers or whatever you Present are. Present company you're, excluded. Yeah, you're one of them, Vince. Um, you know, why? I'm thinking, why would someone, you know, have a platform where they could, and if we just use you know, I hate to say it again, but the, verse, the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund or the Vanguard yep. Diversified High Growth Fund, there's really, in my mind, a, a broader discussion when you do start to amass some wealth. And to me, that is um, diversification. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you look at the, um, the Vanguard funds, for example, and... This is actually interesting, Vince. Like, so Vanguard we know is absolutely um, a passive fund, right? Well, they actually, well, sorry, they actually do have quite an extensive range of active funds, but which is so that, weird, isn't it? it that is they so come weird. out as this, um, we're an index passive manager, and all the data says this, this, and this. But in the background, you look on their website, yeah. and there's all these active I, funds. Yeah. I mean, it came out of the Wellington Fund, which is one of the biggest mm. active funds ever in the US. Mm. Um, but yes, they are well known for their so-called passive funds or yes. in index funds. So, and which is fine. Um, you know, I invest in index funds. You mm. invest in index yep. funds. We, you know, we are at Life Shepherd. We are yep, at Life Shepherd. We are pro primarily an index shop for very good reasons. Yeah. And however, that allocation, if you purchase the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund, for example, mm -hmm. uh, you will have an, an allocation to defensive assets. So mm -hmm. uh, an international um, bond index, for example, mm -hmm. 
And I'm thinking for the diversification part of your portfolio, you generally, I think it would be okay to have that portion of the portfolio actively managed so I don't end up with 5% of Greek bonds by default. Yeah. Is that a fair um, statement? Like, yeah. So I, I think it just, as you have more wealth, you might want to get a bit more complex and not complex for complex sake, but complex for diversification and there'd be plenty. And I want to, I'm just going to write this down, Vince, and we might even just go there now. There would be plenty of model portfolios Mm -hmm. that might be made up of indexed funds Mm -hmm. that have outperformed the Vanguard diversified growth fund. Yeah. I mean, there are a few things in, in the structure of VDHG or VDG or whatever it's called. Um, Mm that are quite active decisions. Mm. Um, the first of which is a significant chunk of their global equities are hedged. And let's just explain that for, yeah, let's explain that just in case. So if the significance of that is that inside the, the hedged portion, there are some currency, tr- there is some currency trading going on which is designed to remove the impact of changes in the Australian dollar of a portfolio of shares that are overseas shares. And that raises the question about why you're buying overseas shares in the first place. And you're doing that for a number of reasons. Firstly, you want to get access to the other 98% of the world because Australia is about 2% of the world. Secondly, you want actually want to get currency diversification, you want to get um, regulatory diversification. So, you know, the US has different accounting standards than we do. They have different listing rules than we do. Um, Their governments behave differently than we do. So, you know, people will argue that, well, actually, if you look at the ASX 200, I know, some huge percentage of it is generated from offshore revenue, and that's enough diversification. Well, where the revenue source is only one part of diversification, and currency is another important part of it. So as a general rule, to the extent that you can have general rules in finance, um, my general philosophy is wherever possible to leave your global equities unhedged. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I've seen over the longer term the significant difference because a hedged portfolio, it will have a higher management fee, uh, depending on the fund manager, um, versus an unhedged one. And I don't know if I've actually seen that much material net difference with no, paying you, you, the... No, you do see you do, you do see short-term differences mm. and sometimes quite short-term differences. Um, so particularly last year, when you look at the, you know, as the overseas markets recovered faster than ours, and our currency rose, you got some very quirky results. But over the long term, there is next to, particularly when you're talking about the Australian dollar, because the Australian dollar actually behaves different to a lot of other currencies. So we are a commodity currency and we are a a risk on currency. So people will, so for example, when markets get, fidgety overseas, gold rises, which often drags up the Aussie dollar, which is sort of is quite a good hedge um, 
And when it goes the other way, when the rest of the world thrives, um, the Aussie dollar tends to lag behind it. So mm. that diversification is as much part of it as getting access to different companies in different economies. So, yeah. so that's issue. I mean, that's not to say that that is the only answer, but um, yeah, and we, and I think it's just important to note, Vince, that. Um, yeah, sure. If you've got, and we're just picking on Vanguard because everyone talks yeah. about it, or it could be the iShares or BDShares yeah. diversified fund, whatever, choose your premix diversified index fund. Yep. Um, I mean, sure, if you're just throwing money in it every month and you want low maintenance and just want to amass money, you probably can't break anything, right? True. But the, the problem with choosing investments is it's not about not breaking stuff. It's actually about trying to build a mixture of assets that are most likely to achieve the goal that you're trying to achieve. And that will be different for most people. So if your goal is to fund your oldest daughter's high school education, she will go into year seven when she goes into year seven. You can't mm. be betting on what the market's going to be doing that year. And you can't say, oh, Sophie, you know, maybe wait another year because the market's down. But if you're saving for retirement, which could be 40 years away, you can take an entirely different view. And so choosing investments is around maximizing return, having regard to the amount of risk you're prepared to take. And so I always talk about better returns rather than higher returns, that, it, that a portfolio of winners is not a winning portfolio. And it's how they behave relative to each other that actually gives you the the better returns. Mm. Yeah, and I mean, I, I've got, I think I said it on the last chat we had, like I've got a um, an investment bond that has the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund. Like the lion's share of my money isn't in there. I've got a little drip, mm. drip feed monthly amount. Um, but... It's doing its thing. It's a growth yeah. fund. It's diversified within my portfolio. But this discussion about a platform mm -hmm. is more about maybe you're going to start to build some significant wealth and you need that diversification. And yep. it doesn't always, and this is the whole thing that I want to get to. Sure, there's platform fees and you'll have to pay a, a percentage fee uh, mm -hmm. to have money on the platform. Yep. There will be investment fees uh, to mm -hmm. have the individual investment. So, for example, your ETF has a management fee. Mm -hmm. So, if you had that ETF on a platform, it's still going to have the management fee, but you'll actually pay a platform fee as well. And there will usually be an advisor fee because a lot of these platform vents um, will need an advisor to help you uh, manage that portfolio. So, if we move now to a model portfolio... How would you explain what a model portfolio is? Well, a model portfolio in most cases is really just a pre-selected group of funds or shares that are designed to achieve a specific outcome. So most or many advisors will look at your age, goals, circumstances, objectives, risk profile, money personality, and make an assessment as to which of the models best 
suits your circumstances. And the advantage of model portfolios as opposed to tailoring one individually is admin. So if you want to do this at a cost-effective way, the extra cost of tailoring one precisely to your needs as opposed to 95 or 98% of your needs um, is prohibitively expensive. It's fine if you're investing a million dollars, but if you're investing you know, 20, 30, 50, 200, um, you can't afford the overhead of a specifically tailored one. So what you try and do is take the um, the needs of the specific client and match them to a pre-designed portfolio which has been researched within an inch of its life and so we know its behavior we know its volatility we know how it correlates to other things and how it suits specific people so in a life shaper case we have five risk profiles across um across super plus investments that's 10 times four platforms is 40 um, so you end up with quite a lot of models, but it means that we can take your individual needs and get you a very, very close answer. So and close, close, close that it makes no difference. But if you had a million or two million, that extra couple of percent match would be worth shooting for. But I think it's important to note as well, like in terms of practicalities, the model portfolio uh, on the platforms, and we'll name a few names. Um, there's Hub24, there's yep. Macquarie Wrap, there's BT uh, Rap. Premium, BT there's Panorama. BT Wrap, um, As Asgard, Panorama. Asgard, uh, Navigator, probably not a thing mm. anymore. But I mean, so there's a variety of different um, products that your mm. advisor might put you in. Mm. But in the background, they've set the model up. So for example, uh, we want 8% allocated to Australian small caps. And then every quarter when, or every six months when the portfolio is reviewed, it's basically a one click of the button rebalance and will automatically sell and rebalance the portfolio. I think you've been watching too many promo videos. It's generally a lot more than one click, but 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 it is, it is um, easier than trying to deal with 2,000 different portfolios. And, well, and but, uh, but, if, but Vince, if you had, um, you know, five funds that were um, five or six funds that you managed yourself and listed, hmm. you know, that's a, a manual little oh, yeah. to, so yeah, I, I guess I'm being dramatic, but it's easier to manage a it portfolio is. ongoing. Hmm. And in a lot of instances, and, and this is why like you really don't want to be dicking around with platforms, I believe, until you're really at that 50K, maybe 100, like... Yeah, I mean, our, thre our threshold is really, if you got 20 and you're mm -hmm. investing 500 to 1,000 a month, now you should be thinking about it. Um, at that yeah. sort of level, you don't have a lot of choice because, mm. you know, costs will rule a lot of them out. But by the time you get to 50 to 70, you're now playing with the big boys and you do have a fair bit of choice. So, But I, I think what I want to drive home is, um, you know, seeing an advisor and yeah, I'll put my flag on the hill and say I am pro advice and I am pro advisor. Seeing a, a good financial well, advisor. Well, like saying I'm pro eating. Um, yeah. Part of life or pro drinking. Yeah. But I mean, in a lot of instances, 
the platform fees, the investment fees, because they're wholesale funds, mm. and the advisor fee, you're probably getting under 1% anyway. Yeah. I mean, the way I, I look at it, not, you, the way I look at it, if you look at premium, for example, um, I had a look at 0.39 for the platform. Yeah, yeah 0.37 plus 60 bucks, I think. Um, yeah. So on, so on 100 grand, mm. that's 370 bucks. If it saves an hour of your accountant's time at tax time, it's almost paid for itself. That's right. And if it, um, if it gets you into funds and some of the, you know, some, not all asset classes have listed options. So if you want to buy, invest in a global infrastructure fund, um, the infrastructure indexes that have unhedged listed investments is actually very limited. Um, or if you want to invest in Aussie small caps, there is no listed option. So, and the two that we use, for example, have half a million dollar buy-ins. So to get there, you need a platform. And, the- and is that, so the half a million dollar buy-in, so if there was, uh, you know, the, the Vince Scully International Infrastructure Fund that was mm-hmm. unlisted yep. and it was a wholesale fund, so you had to rock up with 500 grand, mm-hmm. you know, Premium and BT and Macquarie, they are the customer that That's right. say, look, we will bring people to this fund mm-hmm. and they'll work it out. So the transactions, um, you could put $10,000 in that yeah. wholesale so, fund. Yeah. So to the wholesale fund, the platform looks like one customer. So yes. on Magellan's register, um, Bond Street custodians will have a very large holding and that's mm. Macquarie Wrap. So yeah. now that's both They're a plus. Bond Street anymore, are they? Uh, no, I don't think so. But it was I it was Bond Street custodian when I went. <laughs> it there. was. I went for a job interview at Bond Street. In, it's right next to Australia Square. It is. I remember si- yeah. looking looking at my office, what, watching what the where the establishment is now burning down. Oh man! So get this. So when I like started in finance, when I was like twenty one years old, what, last year I went. For, yeah, two years ago, I went for a job at Macquarie. I kid you not, there was three interviews for a freaking entry-level role mm-hmm. and a psych test. Yep. And I still didn't get it. <laughs> well, there was probably someone in those three to put their black ball in the, in the box for you. Um, yeah. yeah we, we used to interview, you know, everyone who came in would have an interview with HR, their line manager, and then a few people from the team. I think I probably I mean, had I think five it was or a six mail, Yeah, I think it was like a mailroom role mm-hmm. and they wanted a psych test. And you wouldn't have passed um, that. No, not at all. <laughs> but so, so yeah, so, so just getting that back is the unique thing with the platform. You do have access to wholesale funds Correct. that the quote-unquote mum and dad investors and the Finfluencers don't have access to via their raise or spaceship. That's right. And it, it's, it's becoming slightly less of a deal than it used to be because mm. Vanguard, for example, have removed their retail wholesale tier. So they now have a single fee structure for their unlisted funds, which are broadly in line with the comparable ETF. And Do you reckon that's like technology has just helped that along? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 
Yeah, it's not that long ago since we used to fax application forms to these funds. Mm. You do know what a fax is, Glenn, don't you? I do. Yeah. I do. Um, I'm actually filling out a document today because I'm taking someone to court and, <laughs> and the respondents, it's like name of respondent and then address of respondent and then fax of respondent. I'm like, what's a fax machine? Yeah, we'll just be grateful it's not a telex machine. Um, Everyone wants to know who I'm taking to court and why, don't they now? <laughs> well, I didn't have the heart to ask. But now that you mention it. <laughs> Look, there's a cleaning lady, is issue. <laughs> yeah, she's been stealing jewellery from my top drawer. Um, she, she's, she's actually coming dirty, tomorrow morning. She be, she's been dirtying your dishes and putting them in the dishwasher, hasn't she? <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, I might share it when it's over, but it's nothing... <laughs> Well, that's, that's, you know they say it, it ain't over till it's over. That's right. I'm representing myself, but my lawyer said, "Look, put put yourself down. When you get the court appointment, come and see us." So, well, you know the old saying in the law that he who represents represents himself has a fool for a client. Exactly. Um, but so getting back to that point, so I actually don't know that saying. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but on the application, I'm representing myself, <laughs> and I'm getting some counsel after it. Apparently. Very good. Um, so getting back to our problem about <laughs> our discussion around wholesale retail funds. So Vanguard, we're at the vanguard of um, removing this distinction. Um, BlackRock, excluded. BlackRock are probably not too far behind, but there are still, you know, of the thousands of funds, almost all of them still have either a differential in pricing between buy direct because of the admin cost of dealing with someone's $10,000 application or have a minimum investment. And that's often you know, 250 500 And so it just makes life so much easier. So if you so there's people online and I see it, you see it, and they're just the diehard, I want the cheapest fee, I'm just Vanguard for life. Um you know, you don't need to pay for a platform and I can do all the tax myself. I would probably say to that, okay. <laughs> I well, mean, you, like, I mean, technically you can, but it's a lot of work. And exactly. How much work are you prepared to do to save 300 bucks? Um, yeah. To, and but to, this is, I think this is the underlying thing, Vince. Like, you know, people will go and buy their um, a four fifty or five hundred thousand dollar house first purchase, all right, or an investment property. And you know, they might kick and scream at paying a thousand dollars for a conveyancer. Mm-hmm. I mean, at, at what point? Like, why do people get their nose out of joint with product and advice fees yeah. when they're about when they? You know, they spend more time planning their freaking holiday to Bali than... And I, yeah, and I think the... I don't know. I think the um, the fallacy here is that you... Th- well, 37 basis points sounds like a lot when you say it quickly, um, but when you multiply, even by a $100,000 investment, it's still only $370. Mm. And we have become, um, not indoctrinated, but focused on investment cost ratios. So, mm. which, it, you know, 20 years ago or 10 years ago even, 
was a big deal and it really did matter. So when the average investment fee was over 1%, mm. um, saving 10 or 20 basis points made a material difference. But now when we're talk when I hear people arguing about whether I should buy IVV at nine basis points or VGS at 10 basis points, I go, gosh, um, the, those sort of numbers are meaningless and the time of day you choose to sell and your choice of what to buy and how long to hold it will make a way bigger difference than whether you pay yeah, 10 basis points or nine basis points or you pay 9.95 for your trade or 19.95 for your trade. Um, mm. The thing that matters is how much you put in, how long you leave it for and that you buy the right things. The rest of it is sort of noise, but it's so easy to get focused on that, especially in a lot of these investment forums. Um, Do you think it helped when there was a popular book telling everyone, get your super for no cost? Yeah, because there is no free lunch. Um, mm. you know, one of the things I always say when you're looking to pick a super fund, if it's got an abnormally low fee, just make sure that that does actually include all of the fees because just because a fee doesn't have to be disclosed doesn't mean it's not affecting your return. Um, mm. And there are a whole bunch of fees that um, don't have to be disclosed. Um, that yeah. doesn't mean that doesn't mean they're not there. It just means they don't have to be mm. disclosed. So that um, that rest zero cost fund, um, it's not zero cost. It's just zero disclosable fees. Um, the ING fee-free living, living balance super, um, half of that was invested in cash. So, yeah, sure, you're not paying fees, yeah. but you're just not getting a return on half your money. Um, yeah, I liked when that came out because um, it was like, oh, it's free, it's cheap, it's cheap. It's like, yeah, because half of it's in freaking the other level two's cash account. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that's just an example of a cost that doesn't have to be disclosed. Um, there is a cost in the fact that you're not optimally invested. There's a cost in the fact that the return you're getting on that cash is not as high as it could be because it's on ING's balance sheet and shoring mm. up their their ratios. So I'm not having a go at either REST or ING in that case. It's just they're the rules and, of course, yeah. people are going to game the rules and um, so, that doesn't make it easier for the consumer. Do you know of any genuine platforms that aren't a product? So, for example, a genuine platform where um, you could self run it because um, I, like, I know when I had um, my practice Vince like I'm pretty sure with because I used a lot of Macquarie rap yeah, for that, um, that's not one no that's right but there was a setting at the advisor portal side where you could turn off um, different things for the so the client didn't go in and dick around and stuff yeah. things yeah but Macquarie won't sell it to you direct so if you you no. can actually rock up to Macquarie and buy a Macquarie rap account um and at one point, I'm not sure this is still true, that if you had one and you didn't and you left your advisor, the account would get closed. Um, Jeez. I don't, th I don't know if that's still true. I don't think that will happen post-Royal Commission. <laughs> no, um, but, um, but, yeah, so the yeah, answer so is there, there are some that you can buy direct. None of them are particularly mm. easy to buy direct, um, mm. and it's almost impossible to make a meaningful comparison 
other than on price. Um, the premium one's a good example. Um, mm. you can, and there's an example, the case study we'll use after yeah. the break as well. Um, yeah, so so you, can, you can't buy that direct, so you can't go on the premium website and open an account, but you can keep it when you leave your advisor. Mm. Um, I think you can buy CFS Wholesale Direct. I think you can yes, buy. You can. I've set one of them. I think you can buy BT Panorama Direct. Um, you can definitely buy NetWealth Direct. Um, yeah, but but that goes to the thing. It's like often, you know, sure you can buy it direct, but you need some intellectual property to build a model port or oh, yeah. build a portfolio for your own. Like, there's no point buying one of those platforms and then just buying Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund. Like, just go use Vanguard Personal Investor. Yeah, although Vanguard Personal Investor is still twenty basis points, um, where you can get a full That's- feature. You can get a full featured platform for thirty-seven. So you know. Let's put these things in perspective. But that's right. Like you get what you pay for, Correct. but there's no point paying more fees if you're just going to have oh, the sure. one fund. Absolutely. So, yeah. So if you've got 10 or 20 grand and you just want to buy a single diversified fund, then you probably don't need a, a platform. You need to be prepared to do a little bit of spreadsheeting, to, particularly if you're going to mm. go in the DRP and mm. – your reba- well, you're probably not rebalancing if you've got a single fund, but it yeah. ends up being quite a complex spreadsheet when you take into account each distribution could increase or decrease your cost base. Each parcel you get through the DRP will come in at a different cost base. And then when you rebalance, well, which parcel did you sell? Hmm. And then what so- happens when you get corporate actions? It just it becomes um, a nightmare. And ShareSite does a fair bit of that. But those adjustments from each distribution, it doesn't do very well. And it doesn't do the, which parcel did I sell? Yeah, and that's, oh, I will get into the um, LIFO. But um, an example of the platform thing could be, um, you know, if you go to an advisor, they may set up a, a direct, an Australian direct equity portfolio. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they're using maybe... I don't know, Lonsex portfolio or their own one that they've set up and there's research and reasons behind that. Now, when those direct equities are on that platform, you're not paying a fee for the direct equity because it's a direct equity, but you still pay the platform fee because the money's on the platform. And also within the managed or the platform, you might have, you know, 12 Australian equities, Mm-hmm. And then you might have an old, like a an unlisted managed fund. Yep. And remember, you know, um, the Platinum International Fund that was yep. bloody the bee's knees for a million years, and then it was the only game in town in the early nineties. Yeah, and and you you might have you may have had a you know an international fund that you couldn't buy direct. Mm-hmm. I don't think you could buy Platinum direct in the early days. No, no, that's what I said that you couldn't buy direct. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The platform is good, but it's like one of those things, you know, I can go to Bunnings and buy all the equipment to renovate my bathroom. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I probably know enough to be dangerous <laughs> with tools. Right. Yeah. And the, the other big thing, when, particularly when you're working with an advisor, is the platform gives your advisor visibility into what's in your platform, in your fund. So that if if I'm making a recommendation to say, Let's assume that you know we change out our 
recommended global equities option from IVV to uh, whatever the FTSE equivalent called, let's say VGS, just for the, oh, so mm. IVV to VTS, just for the sake yep. of argument. That's a North, North, uh, US equity fund. So let's assume that we made the choice to, based on economic environment and changes to the funds, that we want to move out of IVV into VTS. To be able to assess how that choice will affect each individual investor, you know, it depends on how long they've been in it, whether whether the they're going to realize a capital gain or not, whether they've held a fund for more than 12 months and the gain will be discounted, and how much that impact will be determines whether this transaction is worth it for everybody. In order to do that at scale, your advisor needs a platform. Otherwise, that recommendation cannot be made taking into account all of your circumstances. Mm. And you know, when portfolios are new, that's a reasonably straightforward exercise. But you know, the number of times I've over my career I've spent trying to recreate someone's CGT position in a portfolio, um, it's just a nightmare. I had this a guy who'd uh, inherited a whole bunch of Westpac shares from his grandmother and we were trying to work out what the cost base was. And she got some of them pre-1986, so they were CGT-free. Some of it was got through the um, recapitalization in the early 90s. Some of it was was St. George shares that were converted into Westpac shares when it was taken over, and 40 years of DRP. Um <laughs> You just work out how how much work is involved in that, and your three hundred dollars yeah. a year platform fee looked like a bargain. That particular but case actually a, took a week to reconsider, yeah. reconstruct. Yeah, but for the average um, punter out there, if you purchased ten shares in CBA, yep, through your self wealth account or you yep. know, Comsec, whoever you use, and then in eight months' time, mm-hmm. you purchased another two shares. Yep. So you got 12 shares. Yep. And then in um, another four months' time, so it's been 12 months, you had to sell some CBA shares. Mm-hmm. On the self-wealth or going to the broker direct, you can't say which parcel you want to sell. Correct. But on a platform, you can actually select I want last in, first out. Yep. So or, the ones that biggest gone, gain or smallest gain or, or biggest, biggest gain or, or first in, first out. Yep. So you can actually sell the parcel of CBA shares that you may have held for the least amount of time yep. that will have least amount of gain. Correct. To manage your CGT liability, yep. and it'll help you find maybe an offsetting loss somewhere else that you could sell to eliminate your capital gain. So all of those things make thirty-seven base points look like a bargain. Totally. Once you once you start doing something serious, I mean, if you've if all you've done is bought one parcel of CBA or a parcel of VDHG, doesn't really make that much difference. But as soon as you start accumulating multiple holdings and you're maybe participating in the DRP, maybe you're drip-feeding $500 a month in, um, and then the share you bought has a 
a bonus action, a bonus issue or gets taken over by someone else or it, yeah, if you're in West Farmers and it distributes coal shares to you, um, all of those things create a paperwork nightmare, which is fine if you're a tinkerer and you want to run a spreadsheet and you're quite happy to spend I don't know, hours, days, um, keeping it. Then yeah, I'm not that person. Ahead. That's not me. Um, mm. I do this for a living and I know what I'm doing and I will not do it. No. Especially and for 300 bucks a year. Yeah, that's right. And that's why I said uh, earlier, like if someone said, oh, I'm just going to buy v um, VTS or IVV and VGS or insert your three-letter ticker here, okay, cool. Hmm. Like we're not here, sorry, we're not here to convince anyone to do anything. We're just talking about why we use platforms and how they work. And I think it's important to note as well, there's an element, Vince, of using a platform if you do have significant wealth. And we'll say for a lot of our listeners, if you had a $20,000 portfolio outside of super, mm -hmm. that can be significant for somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and even you're putting $100 a, a, a month or a week into it. Mm -hmm. The fact that you've got an advisor and you're paying for this thing, I believe brings accountability that you're not going to have an aneurysm and log in and sell something to pay yep. for your new lounge. So yeah. you can't quantify the accountability piece. Yeah. Vanguard have tried to. I don't know if there's a white paper on the Vanguard website that should make good reading for anybody. Um, I think Russell did a similar exercise. Mm. And Vanguard went through and said, well, what, what, do, what does the experience of our advisor network and our unadvised network? Because they have a, the unique position of having large chunks of both. And in some ways, you'd expect Vanguard to be less positive on advice, given their direct business. Direct, yeah. But, but their conclusion was that having an advisor adds 3% um, to your returns. And Actually, most that, of that- That was that only- that, that was only recently, Vince. Oh, they, they updated it. They, there is a recent update. Um, yeah, I saw it, it on the AFR yeah, it, within it's the last called, six months. It, yeah. If you if you Google I'll Vanguard Google Vanguard Advisor Alpha, um, there's a really good white paper, and most of it is behavioural, mm. uh, tax, and strategy. That yeah, you know, it doesn't take rocket science to go and place a an at market order for VDHG, but it's actually the thought process before that that says. What is the right investment solution for me? Mm. Um, and yeah, with your first thousand, well, actually, making the first thousand is actually the thing that adds the value in that case. So your first thousand, it probably doesn't matter a huge amount what you buy or how you buy. And, and but also, like if you're if you want to get into investing and you throw a thousand dollars on Ray's spaceship Vanguard. And then you grow to 20 grand and want to go, yeah, I'm going to commit to this long term. Now you need an advisor and a platform. Yeah, sweet. S sell up and move it over. And I mean, we could probably talk about an in-species transfer as well. Uh, how funny, I'm looking at this, um, I'm looking at this advisor alpha report and it wouldn't be a report without a, a, an image from Carl Richards, would it, Vince? No, oh, no, it wouldn't. The, the one um, page, um, did you meet him at FinCon? Um, I actually met him at 
an MLC event okay. in Sydney. <laughs> was he at FinCon, was he? Yeah, I think the first year. Um, I've met him a few times. He was at a Morningstar conference I was at too. Um, yeah, because AFA, we flew him out and then I saw, uh, then I think the next year fin- um, MLC flew him out. I mean, he tells this great story of when he first started, um, he applied for this job that he thought was a security guard mm. and he was actually working in securities. So he yeah, started as started as jun- junior office boy at a uh, funds manager in Minneapolis or somewhere, somewhere in the Midwest. Man, I'm, I'm looking, I can't find a table of an executive summary. But the Carl Richards thing, if you just mm. Google um, or go to behaviourgap.com, mm. he's got this um, image, what you should focus on. And then there's two circles. On the left-hand side, it's things that matter. And then on the right-hand side, it's things that you can control. Mm. And they overlap. And there's the black bit in the middle. Yep. And that's what you should focus on. So the things that matter that you can control. Hmm. Everything else, well, don't don't bother. Yeah. And, and that's what I always talk about. You know, if anyone asks me what do I think the market's going to do in the next year, I go, I've got no idea. Um, that the first step in success is knowing what you don't know. And it is hmm. unknowable what's going to happen in the future. But what you can do is you can plan and prepare and protect. But predicting is... Um, a fool's game. So anyone who thinks they can do it is either lying or self-deluded. And just ask yourself, you know, if we were sitting here this time last year, or maybe a month ago last year, if we were sitting here on the 21st of February last year and you knew that the March crash was coming, what would you have done? Hmm. Mm. And if you did sell, when would you have bought back in? So it's just a nonsense. It's Mm. about, you know, you just got to get invested, stay invested, and then invest some more. Yeah, um, you were right. We think advisors can add around 3% to your client's portfolio. Like the advisors alpha can add 3% to your client's portfolio. Yeah. I mean, it's quite amusing that they dress it up in this jargon um, where alpha is is outperformance, that beta is what the market gives you and alpha is what your investment decisions give you. Mm. Uh, um, But I think the Russell report comes up with something very similar. Um, Yes. Now, the advantage of, so if someone had direct shares uh, on their Comsec broker or Self Wealth Mm -hmm. and you wanted to move it over to a platform, you can actually do an in-species transfer onto the platform. You can in some cases. Um, quite often the fee for doing it outweighs the benefits because the only dip benefit it gives you is it avoids capital gains tax today. Um, it, doesn't make it, go, you- it doesn't make it go away forever, but it makes it go away today. <laughs> remember, and I've never done this as an advisor, but remember... Back in the day, where you used to handwrite your in-specie transfer form mm-hmm. and you put the date, effective date of the transfer. <gasps> Surely not, Glenn. <laughs> and you could look at the share price <laughs> over the last couple of months and time the market in reverse. <laughs> you could. Um, you did have to pay stamp duty on it, so you had to take it down to the stamp duty's office and get it stamped. Mm. 
that um that, but you, you, you might be you might be post stamp duty abolition i was i was actually i was post stamp duty myself yeah um but yeah so the long and the short of it is if if you've got shares in your own broker account and there's a big gain and you don't want to have a beneficial change of owner um you can slide it over to the yeah. platform yeah generally not triggering a tax generally event. not into super but mostly most of the platforms will accept well, they will almost all do in species well, out, and most of them will do in species in. But mm. often the cost is, yeah. Know, unless, you're talking, unless you're talking big holdings. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. I believe you could have done an in species into super, and they just flag it as a non-concessional. No, because that would that would be acquiring an asset from yourself. You could do it from one super fund to another. So if you yes. had a yeah yeah had, sorry sorry yes so if you had a super fund on net wealth and you wanted to move it to um, hub no but that would be a no that would be a rollover a platform which is fine. platform transfer yeah. no no it's still a an in species it's transfer from one fund to another so although but technically it's a rollover fund, yeah yeah the mechanics are in species but yeah. the paperwork's a rollover correct but yeah. it it does avoid the CGT problem yes yeah um but um yeah you generally need reasonably big holdings to make it worth mm. doing so if you've got a thousand dollars of something you've held for a year 29 dollars mm. uh, 20 well se- they're often 75 dollars on the way in and 30 odd dollars on the way out mm. um it can often and be <laughs> i was just thinking if we haven't ridden this platform discussion enough um you can actually set up, you can see an advisor and set up. Uh, so, so Macquarie Wrap, BT Panorama, NetWealth, you know, Hub24, insert your platform name here. They've also got that same product under a super trustee. So, if yes. you've got bloody 200 grand in Aware Super or whatever, and you're like, you know what, I want to turn my super up a notch. I want to get sexy. I want to, you know, be a little bit more hands-on with my super under the, you know, the guide of an advisor or whatever, you can actually move your super over to a platform and everything that we've talked about would apply. The only difference I'd say, Vince, is um, because they fall under, under a trustee vibe, you might not get X top 200 or 300 on some of these platforms for your super. That's right. You, usually the super ones are either 200 or 300 and a limited overseas, but they'll generally have a very big collection of managed funds and index funds and ETFs mm. and LICs. Um, mm. And in fact, you know, some of the, for some of the platforms, if you pick your platform, um, a platform-based um, portfolio of ETFs or the equivalent managed fund could be half the price of your average big six balanced fund. Like your retail super, or yes, like super like, like if you compare Aussie Super, Hester, Uni Super, Host, um, like the the core My Super balance products, mm. you will usually find that um, you can move it to a platform based index fund portfolio for half the price or less. This is the biggest con of the advertising industry and probably genius as well, where industry super Australia crapped on for years with the compare the pair saying mm. that we're cheaper. And it just was categorically incorrect. Yeah, it's just nonsense. Um, yeah. when, you, when you look at the 
fee structure um, of the my super products. And if, if anyone's got time to spare, um, have a look at the APRA heat map, um, which is every my super fund in the country reports to APRA twice a year. And if you go down and look at the fund, um, and if, if anyone's interested in doing it quicker, there's an article on the Life Shepherd website um, where I've put a, a um, scatter chart together, and there is a huge clump between 0.8 and 1.2, and it, the lion's share of those are at around 1. And um, it's just amazing what being the 20th biggest advertiser in the country can do in creating public opinion. So IFM last year was the 20th biggest advertising account in the country. Yeah. And when you're oh, talking about people like, you know, Unilever, um, uh, Kraft, um, you know, all those big consumer brands, IFM is right up there. Yeah, IFM is right mm. up there at um, mm. number 20. And that's members' money, by the way. That's not mm. That's not the owner's money. That's members' money. But it's been remarkably effective in creating this illusion that industry good, retail bad. And much of the... Oh, the, look, I, I, I'll be the first to say there was a lot of retail crap out there. Oh, there like, is, and there still is. Old, old AMP funds with, you know... Two and a half percent MER and a four percent contribution fee, like please. Yeah, yeah. but um, if, but if you look at the, if you take all of the seventy to eighty percent growth funds that are my super funds, and rank them by performance, mm. seven of the top ten are industry funds, as mm. are seven of the bottom ten. Yeah. So the. The the name or categorization is meaningless. Um, you've got to look at the injury funds. So there are good and bad funds on on both sides of the fence. And the trying to select a fund by which category it fits in is no indication of suitability or likely success. Mm. Uh, but you're right. There was some absolutely bad, but there are also some absolutely terrible. Um, industry funds and it's really just a historical difference and much I mean, of yeah i mean just as an advisor right like and i've crapped on about this before and we had sun super sponsor the podcast mm. right yeah good fund they're probably the least industry funds of industry funds like they don't even and the one of, yeah, one of the one of the most transparent as well yeah, um, which will be interesting with the Q Super thing, mm -hmm. and my prediction, Vince, is they will um, merge with Q Super, mm -hmm. and a new name will spawn, mm -hmm. and whoever has the best back office technology will absorb the other fund, mm -hmm. and they'll email everyone, "Hey, Sun Super members, we've changed the name to this," and then, "Hey, Q Super members, we've changed the name to this." So the ones who aren't paying that much attention just think their fund has changed its name. Yeah. So. Um, um, but I, I, but what I was saying is, um, there is, yeah, I don't know if I would get in bed too much, like me personally, with some of the other industry funds. Yeah. Only because in my practice, you know, I had a death claim with a family friend, had two industry funds. It took seven months 
to pay the death benefit. Wow. And I'm not talking about an insurance proving your benefit. Dead, proving your dead's dead, dead is pretty easy. I know. But the problem is they go, oh, we've got to go to a trustee meeting and then this and then we need this. And it was just like, so it got to the point where it's just like, and I think once you understand some of these funds, you know, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be careful. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, I just think you've got to come back and say, well, what what are the things that matter if you go back to your Carl Richards analysis, analysis mm. or analogy, sorry, um, when it comes to choosing a super fund or indeed any investment mm. um, that neither past performance nor past fees are a particularly good indicator of future fees or future performance. So the one thing that you can control is asset allocation. Mm. So if you start there and you go, here's my age and my risk profile and my balance and all those other things that go into deriving a asset allocation and say, now how do I buy that asset allocation? And that's going to eliminate a heap of them. And then once you've got ones that meet that asset allocation, next you ask yourself, am I actually going to get this asset allocation if I buy this fund? And most of the big funds have very large discretionary bands. So the House Plus balanced fund, which is notionally a 78-22 growth mm. to defence split, could actually be as low as 50-50 or as high as 100-0. Yeah. And there's yeah, no... Yeah, 100-0 is very balanced, <laughs> isn't it? No. Uh, well, <laughs> Um, so that's, so, so what's my asset allocation and am I actually going to get it if I tick this box? Those two questions alone will get you most of the way towards answering the, which is the right fund for me. Mm. And they are very difficult to work out from most public office super funds, PDSs. I do yeah. this all day, I mean, every day, and um, you know, when you've read 400 of these things, um, they all start to blur after a while, and you've really just got to focus on the differences. So when I pick up the Aussie Super PDS and the House Plus PDS, um, the one thing that stands out is on page 47 of the House Plus PDS, which says, well, we know we're giving you all these boxes to tick in the PDS, but we're going to ignore what you said on the PDS. And we're going to invest it how we always wanted to invest it, and we'll divvy it up based on your choice. Um, so that's another reason why you're probably not getting the asset allocation you think you're getting, and asset allocation is the number one explainer of results. In fact, it explains about mm. 75% of the difference in performance of my super funds. Mm. And yeah, that's and just I mean, impossible. I, I'm with... Um, I'm still with Sun Super because I think it's a good fund. It um, and, it, and it's transparent. Um, interesting yeah, I mean, to see socially, what happens with the Vanguard. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the socially conscious balance fund that I've got, you know, most of my money in, you know, that did 7.25% over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. I mean... Apart from the fact that that's the wrong place to start. Yeah, that's right. Because that, that, number, that number on its own means nothing. No. Um, so is it 7.2 at 80% growth? Is it 7.2 at 
100% growth. And yeah, well, that's what. Um, how different that if you do that analysis every quarter, how often, how, how does it change and how does it compare to everything else? Yeah. So. All I'm saying is uh, it's not 13% like, you know, VTS or IVV might be. Yeah, but that's pre tax, uh, remember. But, yeah, that's right. But it was a conscious choice to invest in that fund. Yeah, but and if you if you're getting in the eights long term, um, hmm. VD, uh, VDHD has done eight and a half for the last eighteen years, which includes hmm. some pretty volatile periods. Um, most seventy to eighty percent super funds are probably done in the eights over. I think the average balance super funds done eight eight something over forty years. So if you're in that sort of range and you're getting that at the right risk level, you're probably not doing too much wrong until yeah. something happens in the market and it, that you then find out who's swimming naked. Mm. Do you have software like, so as an advisor, so I guess when I was an advisor, I didn't do Multiple of course, you used, to, you used to be an advisor, didn't you? I used to be, yeah. <laughs> I, I used to just do single options um, and they were internally multi-managed, blah, blah, blah. Just for a, an ease of back office administration. Mm. I liked the philosophy, the fund. It was, you know, it was all good. Um, but do you, do you have your own benchmark reports that you track yeah, we um, yeah we we do quarterly reports for all of our portfolios. So each investor gets a return for their asset allocation. Um, mm. We avoid benchmarks per se um, mm. for the very reason we just discussed around. Well, what's the most appropriate benchmark? Well, the benchmark is what the asset allocation you just got. Invested and in that's a, and, and that, it's hard to. Well, if you're buying yeah, index funds, the benchmark is your return minus yes. the fees. So it becomes a meaningless comparison. We do uh, for super. We look at the the Morningstar peer group benchmarks, um, which are not perfect proxies, but they're not bad. So it says, well, here's mm. what the average. 80% 80 to 90% funded or the average 70 to 80% funded um, mm. and that's a good comparison but the only benchmark that matters is the benchmark for the asset allocation that you've invested in that's right and i guess i was getting at it is because it, it's it's hard to you really can't benchmark you know i've got a 70 30 growth portfolio or balanced portfolio I'll benchmark it against um, Australian super yeah. growth. Or the ASX or, 200. Yeah. yeah, because the asset allocation is different. Mm. And I always used to say to clients, they're like, oh, this fund over here, it did this amount. I said, we actually can't compare it mm. because it's got probably 30% of unlisted assets right. where this fund here that we're invested in is priced daily. Mm. Like you actually can't compare it. That's right. And and then you've also got the problem of comparing, you know, people often say, well, look, if I'd been in Vanguard, I'd have got this return. 
why is my super less than that? So, well, actually, your super fund is, ret- is reporting net of tax. Vanguard isn't. So that works two ways. So in a down market, the after-tax number will be higher than the pre-tax number. And in a mm. up market, the after-tax number will be below the pre-tax number. So you've really got to be very careful what your the numbers you're comparing and what went into delivering them. And um, what you what you're trying to do is maximize your return for any given level of risk. And mm. if you don't have transparency on the risk, you have no way of assessing whether that's right. And that's yeah. probably the biggest problem. And I don't know if you saw that um, Morningstar research where Australian super funds came bottom of the world in terms of super fund transparency in a category all of its own. At the very, mm-hmm. it was the only member of the lowest category. I can't remember what what it was called. Um, whereas you know we have the third biggest, second or third biggest funds management industry in the world. So we should mm-hmm. be leaders in this. And um, you know, on that survey, they single out Australian super as being um, the gold standard in this area. Um, in the same co- sense that Stephen Bradbury is a gold medal winner, um, mm. they may be the best of a bad lot, but it's still pretty substandard. I mean, they do list every share that they hold and how much they hold, both internationally and domestically. Um, mm. But when it comes to um, infrastructure and real estate, then they're unlisted portfolio. They just give you a range. So I um, can't remember the number, but they, they're in you know, a few hundred billion categories, a few hundred million. So they might say, look, mm. we in, we have X dollars invested in Brisbane Airport, which is worth between 100 and 300 million. And it doesn't say, well, what's the form of that investment? How is it valued? When was the last public transaction? It's just meaningless disclosure. Um, Sir Anthony Mason, the um, former Chief Justice, uh, I can't remember which judgment it was, but he famously said that the most effective form of concealment is full and detailed disclosure. And um, mm. I think our super funds are masters at this. And, you know, to pay someone to decipher all of this crap is worth every penny. I mean, it's just, yeah. Do you ever listen to The Money Cafe with Alan Kohler and I, James Kirby? I've listened to a few of the one. And that's yeah. finance. That's yeah, Alan that's right. <laughs> um, um, I haven't listened to one for ages. Well, Alan just uses Australian super as the world's benchmark for investing. Well, like, it might very well be. Based- You've just got no idea from the level of disclosure you get. Yeah, like, so his whole thing is, uh, and I'm just on the Australian super website, uh, you know, because they'll have the investment fee and then you got to look for the ICR and you can't find that ever. Mm-hmm. Um so he's yeah, like, always, I don't know why they don't put all options together on one table. It doesn't strike know, me as being particularly it hard to do. And mirrors. Yeah. It's smokes and mirrors. Um, he's pretty much like, if you can't beat Australian super, go home. Yeah, except you can't tell whether you're beating it or not because you don't have the details of what it's invested in to know whether that return is appropriate for the risk it's taking or even what risk it is taking. But as well, most when he says that, most people who have their own share portfolio on bloody ComSec or NetWealth is 100% growth anyway. Yep. And Australian Super, you know, their growth option isn't the 
highest performing one. It's probably the balanced one or yeah. the high growth one. Yeah. And that part of that is, and we don't really know, but mm. part of that is how that growth to defensive categorization is made. And mm. the example that I always use when I'm trying to explain how absurd this is, I'm not suggesting anyone's doing anything wrong. They're just following the rules. No. It's just the rules yeah, are absurd. Yeah, yeah. And the rules say that if it's if you invest in something that's listed and is an equity, that's 100% growth. Mm. So all of your entire investment there gets thrown in the growth category. If you invest in an unlisted asset, you get to count 25% of it as defensive. So look, now that doesn't sound all that crazy from an academic perspective, but look at the practicalities of that. If you look at Unisuper, Unisuper owns about 17% mm. of Sydney Airport, which is listed, mm. and the price is displayed every second of the day that the market's open. Mm. And it's the biggest airport in the country. It's in a growing market. It's stable. Um, but that can, that Unisuper's investment in that counts as 100% growth. Mm. If you look at House Plus's investment in Brisbane Airport, which is a secondary airport with a lot more growth built into the price and a lot more capex to come as it builds its second runway and grows, because it's unlisted, it gets counted 25% in the defensive club. So comparing Unisuper to... House Plus reporting that the, if they reported the same growth allocation in an up market, you would expect House Plus to outperform because it's taking more risk, even though it's showing a higher defensive allocation. It's just nonsense and mm. it just makes it impossible for the average Australian or even many advisors so, to so make I'm a meaningful comparison. Hmm. So get this. I'm looking at the. I don't know why we're talking about super, but whatever we're here. Now. We we did drift a I'm bit. Looking, we did. I'm I'm look and we will have a quick break and um, look at this case study. But I'm looking at the Australian super, um, high growth fund. Mm -hmm. Oh, actually, let me go back to balanced. I'll go to balanced. Mm -hmm. At any one time. They can have ten to forty-five percent in Australian shares, ten to forty-five percent in yep. um, international shares, yep. zero to ten percent in private equity. Yeah. So let me just pull up the. Uh, I've actually got a table of this on the website um, where I've done this. Yeah, I, I did see that. And then I'm just going to have a look at. Um, can you still see me? Because I've pulled, I've pulled, pulled the website up. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. I can. Yeah. Um, um, so, so that means. So you were in Aussie Super mm. Balanced? Yes. Yeah. So the Australian Super Balance, which is their Wait, 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 wait. Um, no, I'm in. Yeah, Balanced. Okay. So the Balanced is the My Super option, which is where 80% of the money is. Yes. Their target asset allocation is 78.22, which yes. is at the upper end. Which is a end. high bloody balanced. Yeah. It's at the upper end of the balanced category. I think CBUS is marginally higher, but that's their target. At June 30, 2020, they were actually at 75.25. Mm. And it's based on the ranges they have provided. It could be as low as 30% growth or as high as 100% growth. Mm. And 
there is no disclosure as to how they would decide. Mm. So that's just an invitation to market time, and it's an invitation to game the rankings because the rankings are done based on actual returns. So, and there's a huge marketing benefit in being at the upper end of the range. So if you're predicting a down market, um, you know, you would lower your growth allocation, mm. which may or may not add actual value, but it will mean that for that year, you're going to appear higher in the table, mm. which gives you bragging rights when it comes to advertising. So Totally. It's, it's, I think this is a very dangerous structure. And they're not alone. So this is not picking on Australian super. Um, no, they, they all do it every yep. – well, and this is it. It's a product and they – like would the Australian super balanced ever get to 50% Australian equities? Probably not. But I think they've got to – I think they might have been pretty give close. Give themselves to, some, um, um, some wiggle room. Yeah. And yeah, do you really need that level of wriggle room? I mean, some wriggle room is absolutely essential so that you're not rebalancing every day. I mean, no, nobody says that, you know, if I pick 80-20, I want it to be 80-20 every day. Yeah, that's it, right. It's, it's, yeah. it's going to drift and that's what gives you the benefits. But if your rebalance trigger is, you know, if you're targeting 80-20, you really – wouldn't want to get to 70, 30, and you certainly mm. wouldn't want to get to 90, 10. So why have ranges that big? Especially if you're never going to use them, which which is what they'll actually tell you. You go, oh, we'd never get there um, if you ask the question. Yeah, um, I'm just having a... Do, 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 do. Would they, cra- would they put... So the current allocation of the balanced... On Australian super is sixty six percent growth, and they would call infrastructure defensive, right? Well, it would get split the way I've just described. Mm. So, yeah, list, listed yeah. infrastructure. Well, sorry, you can actually even fudge it a bit more than that. I mean, you could possibly mm. argue that um, a regulated um, electricity distribution network, where your mm. price is largely regulated and isn't going to move very much. You could argue that that's a largely defensive asset. Um, So it's not black and white, but the rule that says listed is 100% growth, unlisted um, is uh, actually, it's just nonsense. This is, this is interesting. Um, But, but it speaks to it's their IP as well. And they've got a right to, manage it, you know, within the law and have Oh, so I'm not suggesting anyone's doing anything, but I yeah. don't I don't think that secrecy is an attractive look when it comes to funds management. That the mm. one thing that the consumer deserves is transparency. And, and you and would hypothesize uh, that with an advised model portfolio on a platform with an advisor for your super, we'll probably get a higher level of transparency than the pre-mixed balanced 70-30 fund at XYZ industry super fund retail fund. Uh, yep, 
Um, but it's it's the transparency is the thing that allows you to make an informed decision. So for the for us as a society to say we are going to make every individual responsible for their own retirement savings and we're going to force them to put 9.5% of their income into a, a fund and then take away from them the ability to actually make a meaningful decision is just, well, it's bordering on criminal, um, mm. that there is just, that is just bad regulation. Um, that I if you're, going to, if that. you're going to give someone choice, you have to give them the means to make a meaningful decision. And that either means affordable advice at the point of decision or yeah, meaningful disclosure in a way that people can actually understand. And um, we're not at either of those right now. Um, did you read in the AFR today or yesterday the new disclosure rules coming in for super? Uh, I didn't see it today, but there are a whole bunch coming. But but I think that was um, coming out of the Royal Commission with um, super funds not allowed to, you know, blow money on um, crap. Yeah. Um, and I thought um, it was funny when I was going to the States once, Vince, um, next to me, laying down in the mm -hmm. bed next to me, mm -hmm. there was an executive from a, an industry super fund. I'm like, oh. Didn't yeah. know you spent members' money on luxury mm. transport. Yes, right. Um, and you know, even we, we, now that we've got the APRA heat map, it's sort of helping. Mm. Um, it's not particularly friendly. But as of June 30, 2019, Host Plus balanced option reported a 93% allocation to growth assets. What does it say in the PDS? 75, 78, 7822. 7822, I think, is the target. And they reported. I've been crapping on this for years where. So the funds I used to recommend, Vince, mm -hmm. were 100% listed. Mm -hmm. So we get daily prices. And yep. clients would say, oh, this fund here does this. I'm like, we can't compare it because they're actually different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, you're talk, talking about. Disclosure, I mean, and this is a story that went largely unreported. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you and I, I think we, did we do an episode on this? When, about the rest case where young Mark McVeigh sued oh, over disclosure. Yeah, because he's like, can you tell me what I'm invested in? And they ignored yeah. his call. And they said no. And not mm -hmm. only they refused to give it to him, but they spent a truckload of members' money. Fighting to. Def yeah, defending their decision and defending why they shouldn't tell their customer um, what they're invested in and how they chose them. Like, that's just outrageous. Mm. Um, that's like going to Coles and Coles saying, well, we're not going to tell you what's in this mixed cookie box. You have to buy it first. Um, it's just outrageous. Do you reckon, like, I'm on the Host Plus website now. Mm -hmm. I reckon disclosure is worse and harder than it ever was because they've now got a eight-point PDS document yep. and there's one document that's four pages long which tells you what you've, they've got to tell you and then you've got to go to point part six for the investment returns. Hmm. 
Like, and and there's it's 80, bloody 80%, confusing. F- yeah. yeah, and 80% of it is how super works. Well, actually, um, yeah. you don't need to tell me that in a different way in every PDS. There should no. be a government-mandated set of disclosures that says, here's how super works, and then the fund PDS can then deal with how they implement that um, and what the fees they are and what they're actually invested in. Um, the UK's managed to move to full real-time disclosure um, mm. for pensions. There's mm. absolutely no why, reason why Australia shouldn't be doing this. So the actual PDS for Host Plus is eight pages, mm-hmm. but half the crap's the mandated government disclosure that's yep. the same in every fund's PDS. Yep. So you, what you've really got to do, if you, if you want to do this yourself, you need to grab a half a dozen funds that look like they're in your sort of asset allocation and mm. look for the differences because it's the differences that actually tell you the meaningful bits. So, mm. yeah, so if you have a look at that disclosure I said on page 47 of the... Um, well, I can't even find that. I don't know if you want to send me a link. Um, well, let me read it out to you. Um, um, yeah. Yeah, so, the, balance, so, the balanced option in their eight-page, this is the Host Plus yeah. one, says it's 76% growth. Yeah. yeah. So if you go to page 47, it says... Um, Can you send me the link through the uh, so um, I'm, I'm just, Facebook? I'm, I'm just reading it out of my article. At the oh, moment, okay, yeah, yeah. But, um, I should be able to... I, I'm, I'll send it to you so you can put it on the in the group. But it says... Probably won't. Host Plus may, this is a direct quote, Host Plus may have invested $10 million in the Balanced Equity Management Australian shares. A member then exercises investment choice and directs us to invest $10,000 of their account balance in that investment option. And then it says, we do not invest a further $10,000 on top of the $10 million already invested, but notionally allocate the net investment returns received from that investment option to the member's account. Now, that's a very dense unclear statement which has it's allegedly mm, a, a legal ponzi scheme <laughs> yeah, well yeah maybe it is um but what that means is that the investment the t- overall asset allocation of the fund may or may not equal to the asset allocation of each of the members added up so the aggregate mm. of each individual members is infinitesimally likely to equal. So that means the return will never precisely line up with it. So how is it divvied up? A part of the answer to that question is that flexibility on um, the asset allocation. The asset allocation go, well, probably the first people to wear these are the 80% of people in the balanced fund who just get a different asset allocation within those big bands, but it's not the target allocation they've signed up for. Mm. And I just think that is, yeah, it's not illegal. There's there's nothing illegal or wrong as far as regulations and laws concerned of what's going on here. And it really, yeah, this is all legacy stuff. So this will date back forever before anyone thought about giving members choice of what they invested in. Um, mm. And the underlying technology hasn't actually kept up with the marketing fluff at the top. And so you end up with this disclosure. And I suspect that 
many of the other top funds should probably have this disclosure in their PDS as well. I mean, the fact mm. that the fact that House Plus make this disclosure, I think, is you know brownie points for House Plus. But you know, I would challenge most people to understand what that paragraph is saying and why it matters. Mm. And that's my that's my beef. Um, yeah, yeah. I read these Where things. All, if, I read these things all day, every day. So, yeah, I can understand what that says. But yeah, there's yes, but sixteen million people making I'm, this decision. That overarching thing. If you've got an advisor who has a model portfolio on a platform, mm-hmm. or even just a run-of-the-mill product, yep. that you know, the Oz. We believe that you should have thirty percent in Aussie equities and we're doing that over two Aussie equity funds and we might make it up two Aussie index index funds, Mm -hmm. two Aussie shares index funds, for example, Mm -hmm. you know at all times that there's nothing hiding under the hood of that Aussie equity allocation because that's what you're invested in. And index funds. So if you, if you can, one of the best ways to get transparency is to buy a full full replication index fund. So you know what the index is and you therefore know precisely what it's invested in. Um, mm. And so you buy IOZ, the BlackRock ASX 200 fund, you know precisely what's in there. In fact, you can download it off the website which says here's what the creation basket is. You know precisely mm. what you're getting at all times. And um, whereas with many managed funds, you don't because the you know this is the point that you made earlier about it's the intellectual property of the manager. Well, mm. it is sort of. Um, so if you are an active fund manager, um, there is a reluctance to disclose in too much real time what the holding is. But the rules only say you have to list the top ten or everything that's more than five percent or something. Whereas at the end of the quarter, saying here's what we're holding would be a really good start. And we're starting to see some of this happen. I mean, much as I'm not a fan of Kathy Woods and the ARC Fund, at least she's releasing her the research they based their decisions on. So they've put out a a very bullish report on Tesla, which is either the the best impression of spruiking your own book or um, a genuine attempt at transparency. I'd like to mm. think it's the second of those, but mm. it certainly makes interesting reading. Do you want to have a look at this case study? Yeah, sure. All right, we'll have a quick break. I'll have a sip of water and we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Welcome back, everyone. Um, I had a sip of water. Now, we've got this case study up. Do you want to maybe just read the post, Vince? Sure. Um, so Rebecca. Re- yeah, so Rebecca says that she is she has been investing in um, – I shouldn't say what she's actually invested in, but she's been investing in a number of, hold, of shares or ETFs. She's been working with an advisor who she – chooses or doesn't want to work with anymore and her advisor built her portfolio on premium 
which is one of the lower cost platforms that we, we spoke about. So now that she's not working with her advisor, she says that she's struggling with managing her portfolio. And we and so she wants to know, well, what should she do? And she says, well, do I keep it or mm. do I sell it off and buy something more user-friendly? Um, or three, transfer it to a personal hen. And she says that will be cost her around $400. And that's that $29 a pop we spoke about earlier. Yeah. So, so there's a few things that are interesting here. Um, so, And are we assuming for this, Vince, that the portfolio that the advisor set up is 100% a listed portfolio or does it really um, matter? Well, it would matter. Um, but given that she says that she could – move all 13 holdings to her hint, mm. I think we can assume that they are all. Oh, did she tell you that there's 13 holdings, did she? Well, I, I went 400 divided by 29 is just over 13. So I said- Okay, so it's obviously an Australian equity model portfolio. That's what it sounds like, or a series of ETFs. Um, yeah. She doesn't actually say, but she also comments that she's sitting on too much cash. So mm. we just unpack what's happening here. So she's been working with an advisor, Advisor created a portfolio for her and implemented on the premium. So far, so good. Mm. Some time runs by and we don't know how much. Um, she, she, either she or the advisor decide they can no longer work together and she's faced with what to do. So certainly there will be nothing to stop her keeping her premium account and she could continue to manage her portfolio. So the app will still work. She'll still see her holdings. In order to trade, she will need to phone up the the help desk or the customer support line, and they will actually place the trade for her. That so sounds like a pain in the ass. Oh, I could say it sounds like luxury. Um, that the, the <laughs> days when your broker used to phone you up every day and say, "Here's what's looking good today." I mean, they were they yeah. were the, the good old days when brokers earned their one percent clip. Um, mm. So there's nothing to stop her doing that. She complains that she's got too much cash, um, which she could- Good problem to have. Yep, she could fix that with a phone call. Um, but obviously working without an advisor um, is not as easy as doing with, with an advisor because the advisor would have all the automated tools to pass those trades through. So it's just that the investor app isn't transactional. So the app that the member gets is not a transactional one. The advisor's one is, but the mm. investor's one is not. So she still gets all the benefits of being on a platform, but um, not uh, – I mean, I quite like the idea of phoning up to place a trade, but maybe maybe other people don't. <laughs> call, call me old-fashioned. Um <laughs> Maybe we can do a what would Vince do, what would Glenn do in this situation? Mm -hmm. So what would WWVD? <laughs> VGS. Um, you know, my middle yeah. is G. Yeah. So, yeah. so, so VGS is, is me. Um, Vince, I forget what it is. Gerard. Gerard. Yeah, Gerard. Gerard, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we don't quite know what's in the portfolio, but let's assuming that the underlying and we'll assume it. Should we assume it's ordinary money as well? Uh, yes, yes, yes. I think we we yeah. can assume that. If 
if she's comfortable making asset allocation and buy-sell decisions, then I would probably keep it um, because it is one of the lower-cost platforms. And um, But if she's a trader, um, then you know, that may not be the best way of managing your your trades that you might want facilities like stop losses and um, specific value orders rather than just market orders. So there might be a whole bunch of features she might need if she wants to be a trader. But if she's a long-term holder, she's adding to her portfolio and wants to be able to rebalance it, then I would be staying where I was. Did she DM you? Uh, no, she posted the answers to the questions on uh, on the post. Mm. So I, I said, you know, PM me if you're not happy to do this publicly. But she did mm. respond. She says, yep, 13 holdings all listed. So, yes, there's the answer to your question. Oh, cool. She says she finds support difficult to deal with, and I don't like that I can't make changes to the investment options or buy-sell in the online platform. And that's true. So the investor app doesn't allow you to trade. You have to phone up yes. to trade yeah. and go, well, I've got too much cash. Well, a phone call will fix that. Um, but could you, like in these accounts, surely in the background, those 13 stocks, for one of a better yeah. word, um, would be pinned probably to some type of a percentage where she could say, hey, can you invest? There's 20 grand in the cash account. Can you proportionately throw it in? Uh, you certainly can do that on the advisor platform. Exactly, um, but when I, you call up, I'm sure can they you do it. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Probably. So the long and the short is, Uncle Vinny is staying. Is saying, if you want to stay, stay. Yeah, I'm saying if you're a long term holder and you, um, you're confident making your own buy sell rebalance decisions, mm. then you're not going to gain very much by moving and the move is either going to cost you 400 bucks or um, whatever capital gains will be realised by yeah. selling and buying. Yeah. So none of that seems particularly attractive to me. Um yeah, I think there's probably another story here about um, you know why the relationship with the advisor is breaking down. You know, perhaps the advisor hasn't brought Rebecca along for the ride, and mm. she's not confident that it's the right decision. I mean, I always think when I'm giving advice to people, I always think, well, how would they defend this decision when Uncle Harry at the barbecue goes? Oh, didn't you know Vanguard's the only answer? Um, mm. Or I'm in House Plus, it's only two shillings and sixpence. Um, how is Rebecca going to feel when she has that discussion? Is she confident enough in the advice that she's received to know that here's why I made that decision mm. and why it's right for me? If you, if you can't answer that question your advisor's not doing their job properly. They may be fully compliant, they may be doing precisely what they're asked to do, but if you if you can't answer that question 
and stand up to Uncle Bob at the barbecue because there's one at every barbecue. Um, yeah, and if there and, isn't, you're it. That's right. And um, this understanding why the advice is what the advice is is, to my mind, one of the most critical parts of advice. And as an industry, we, and I, yeah, I'm one of 19,000 advisors, have not done a particularly good job in this over the years. Mm. So that, I don't know who this advisor is um, and I don't know what the relationship was and I don't know what the scope of work was, but if she doesn't have the ammunition or the education to understand why this advice is the right advice for her, then it's possibly not surprising that she and her advisor are parting ways. I I think now's a good time, Vince, for you to say, what do you think, Glenn? Yeah, what do you think, Glenn? Glad you asked. <laughs> so, Rebecca, we know that she's probably in that intermediate level of knowledge, certainly too advanced, as mm-hmm. in, excuse me, she knows, you know, the hin thing. She's talked about, um, um, you know, getting in there herself and she knows that it's not designed for self-management. So she knows enough to be dangerous, right? Mm-hmm. My overarching comment would be I would remain cash heavy until your partner – because she said her partner was made redundant in December and he's yep. dead at full-time uni. So I'm probably not worried about investing any extra cash until yep. Yep, partner, effective. you know, either finishes uni yep. full-time. So even yeah. if the cash is sitting on the sidelines for three years or whatever, yep. um, I'm probably thinking a line in the sand that, and I guess here's why. I don't know about you, Vince, but have you ever got a client where they bring in this old portfolio mm-hmm. that used to be advised and was no longer advised and it's had 10 years of drift and, yep. you know, oh, that fund's now the worst dog in the world. You're overweight yep. here. Yep. So I think there's an argument to have um, some type of science overarching her asset allocation, her individual picks. Yep. Even if it's coming up for air once a year. Yep. I don't know, just to yeah. stop that. And, and that's, that's, yeah, that's a really good point. And I see this a lot um, where people, um, you know, adopt, uh, for example, and I'm not having mm. to go with anyone here, for example, mm. the the Barefoot Blueprint, and they subscribe mm. and pay their 200 and whatever it is dollars a year. Mm. And they get really active for three months and there's a ton of buys and then nothing happens for 18 months and then they get interested again and there's a ton of buys. And so you end up with this mongrel of a portfolio, which is made up of you know things that were probably very good buys at the time, um, mm. but don't work together, and um, have just yeah you just, they just don't work together. So yeah, so I got a w- question for you, yep. Vince. Yep. Why did the barefoot investor, and this is not. Like I've actually, I've tried to get Scott to come on the podcast. Oh, that'd be great. Can't get him. But Mm -hmm. one of the questions I would probably ask him 
is why did you harp on about index index investing inside super but then sold an active approach with ordinary money, with the footprint. Yeah, interesting. Um, I guess if you're selling a $299 newsletter, you've got to encourage people to trade. I don't know. Mm. Um, yeah. But, but it, anyway, did, it, was something, it was something that never sat particularly well with me. But, um, yeah, I don't think we should be picking on individuals in the market. But it, it is, you know, most people are tend to lean towards one approach over the other. And the question around whether, yeah, should I buy ETFs or manage funds, um, that's sort of the wrong question to start mm. with. It's a bit like walking into a bottle shop and saying, should I buy bottles or cans without working mm. out what you're going to drink and where you're going to drink it. And yeah. do, you like, do you like having a long dog, VB, or anything like that, Vince? A, a long neck. Yeah. Um, a long dog. Oh, I don't know about a long dog. I had a long neck. Um, yeah. But yeah, so That's if you're going cool. if you're going camping, um, mm. beer in cans I like to carry in, easy mm. and low volume to carry out, and they cool faster in the water. Whereas if you're having a steak on the barbecue at home, um, maybe a nice rich Shiraz might be better. And you're certainly not going to buy that in a can. You're going to buy that in a bottle, preferably one with a cork. So mm. you've got to look at what's the application before you um, you can work out what to invest in. And that's the yes. bit that's missing in a lot of this online investment porn. It's all about what's going to the moon today rather than actually what might be appropriate for my needs. Mm. I, I really think with Rebecca, mm -hmm. I in my hearts of hearts and Rebecca – Send me an email, glenn.james at sortyourmoneyart.com. Um, I want to introduce her to another advisor mm -hmm. because I think a good advisor, I think she can probably, one, continue to benefit from mm -hmm. a, a complex platform like this yep. and maybe with another advisor who mm -hmm. is charging a flat fee per year yep. and... Um, because, you know, and we, and this is the amazing thing about podcasts, like we don't know her age, we don't know her family situation, uh, we don't know if there's $500,000 or $100,000. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there's $500,000 in there. The answer would be different. She, yeah, but the answer would be if there was $500,000 in there and you broke up with your advisor because you were getting charged three grand a year, mm -hmm. um, purely on the money point of view, that's that doesn't fly with me unless the advisor actually was like you said, Vince, just not taking the client on the journey. Yeah, that that's the number one here. So I mean, I focused on the specific question she asked, but you do go to the heart of this, and you say when when you put that the platform decision is possibly a minor one in the context of the rest of these facts. So. So the fact this was set up three years ago, they've been investing consistently, but now her partner's off work and is at uni. So their circumstances have changed. Mm. Their goals probably have changed. Their tax rates have probably changed. All of those should trigger a re-evaluation of what, what's the right 
asset allocation. And cash may very well be a significant part of that if, you know, if their living expenses have gone up and their income has gone down. Um, yeah. So this is not a, you know, the, the premium or not decision is sort of a second order decision here. It's, mm. um, you know, do I want to have an advice relationship? Should I still be investing? Should I be instead diverting more money to our living expenses? And should I, you know, what should I be invested in? And then you, know, Vince, you, you make the platform decision. What I would probably do, and I'm reading between the lines, you know, those advisors that it was clinical, I'll set you up an investment account mm-hmm. and charge you and write to you once a year. Yep. Okay. That, that's old. I'd be that, looking for- that doesn't, st- doesn't stack up anymore. Exactly. I'd be looking for an advisor who probably costs the same as, you know, old mate or old ma'am. Yep. And, well, let's, let's have an active relationship. How can this third party provide other accountability with my other goals? Mm. And I think- the, I honestly think, Vince, it's do I want an ongoing relationship with an advisor or do I need some advice once off? And maybe we had the advice once off and that advisor didn't read the room Mm -hmm. and sold it as this ongoing thing and set it up as an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. And Rebecca's like, oh, I actually never really wanted that. We just wanted money. We just wanted an account that could throw money in. Maybe they need a once off piece of advice to say, hey, we're pretty dialed in. Can you just recommend a platform or an investment that we can just shovel money in without having to come and see you and blah, blah, blah? Yeah. I mean, that's a difficult road to travel um, just from a practicality viewpoint. And the the thing that always makes me nervous about one-off pieces of advice is I can get it right today, but as soon as you walk out the door... Partner loses the job. All sorts of changes. things change. Yeah. Um, mm. And um, so if she was a, a life shopper client, I would have expected to get a, an email, chat or phone call the day her partner was made redundant and we'd want to have a discussion around um, tax treatment of his redundancy, what you should do with it, um, what that means for your ongoing budget, what it means for your investment strategy, and that's the that's a lot of where this three percent of Vanguard talk about comes from. Yeah, it's Set, not setting, the... yeah, setting up a portfolio once is okay. So I mean, you you could come and I can say, well, look, here's the here's a portfolio that meets all of your requirements today. Mm. Now go and buy it yourself. The amount of problems that happen between the receipt of the advice and its action, um, yeah, markets move, people people make errors, people do or don't understand what they've been told. Um, you may or may not have the full stories. And then two days later, as you say, partner gets uh, made redundant. Um, that's a much bigger impact on investment strategy than whether premium, whether it's premium or BT or Asgard or mm. Macquarie, um, they're really second order or third order questions. Uh, you know, asset allocation, asset, then platform. 
Mm. And in most cases, the choice of platform will be driven by the size of your portfolio. Well, it's fair to say you may have missed one point there, mm-hmm. and that is um, ownership structure and tax. Yep. Because if we sit down with the advisor, you know, Rebecca could be throwing $500 a month in this portfolio. Yep. Yes, amen, awesome. But is there a case that, well, let's throw 100 of that into super? Yep. To save or, or, a bit of tax. Or into, or into their mortgage. Who knows? Or we, into we just- their mortgage. Yeah. So I think that's a, it's a good thing. It's like, do we need once-off advice, which we know is fraught with some potential danger because, you know, you can set something up, but if things change, you need to go get advice again, then That's why not just have an ongoing relationship with someone that is not screwing you and who yep. is priced well and you get value from? That's right. And, you know, if you, let's say you give one-off piece of advice today and you say, well, come back in a year and we'll review it. The amount of work in doing that review has doubled, tripled or whatever because we haven't been involved along the way. Mm. So so if it's in our reporting cycle with the other thousand members, um, it gets touched once a month anyway, mm. whereas if you now have to come back a year later and try and recreate what's happened during the year, um, that's just as expensive as or probably more expensive than doing it every month as a batch. So mm. it can be illusory. It might seem like you're saving money. And, you know, at, at Life Shaper, our um, initial advice fee for a portfolio is $499 and then $40 a month for management. So 40 times 12 is 480 So mm. ongoing management is actually cheaper than an annual review. And because it's coming out of your platform account, you're getting a GS, a rebate on some of the GST. So it's actually saving you money as well. And it's all there from a tax return perspective because the initial advice fee is not deductible, but the ongoing advice is. So again, it's another one of these things that sounds like you're doing the right thing until you scratch the surface and you go, well, actually, I really should have ongoing advice. But you've got to be on the journey together. So the f- number one step in choosing an advisor is, does this advisor look after people like like me? Like if you're a 20-something with 20 grand, saving a grand a month, um, then you'll have a completely different set of requirements from an advisor that someone's you know, 55 and heading towards retirement and is interested in, well, how do I plan for the age pension? Um, what do I do with my super? Um, can I slow down a bit before I actually retire? Um, what do I do if my partner is younger than me? So all of those mm. things create a different set of competencies. So you want an advisor that's looking after people like you, which means you have to know what you are. So what what... What is it about my circumstances that makes me like all these other people? Mm. And I think it's it's important to note as well, like, you know, myself as a quote-unquote retired advisor, um, my parents 
I'm taking them to an advisor who specializes in pre-retirement. Yep. Absolutely. I could, I know I could do it myself, like not being an advisor. Um, but it's actually harder because if being the advisor, when you're helping clients, you've, it's just easier. Like if something is a hiccup along the way, you've got an online portal you can just look at where a lot of the client facing stuff, like you're just in the dark. Yeah. And there I mean, I just, one I just, or two yeah. strategy things. That's right. So I don't keep up to date on retirement planning because no. the life show per client is 20 to 40 yeah. and nowhere near retirement. So mm. the amount of effort required to stay up to date on all the latest rules on aged care and pension income tests and asset tests, um, that takes doing it day in, day out. That's what I used to do a lot of, but we don't mm. do that at Life Shipper. So if you if you are 55 or 60, then Life Shipper is not the advisor for you. Mm. Um, yeah. So you but need I, to I find someone it's... who looks after people like you. Yeah. Well... I don't know. We we'll have to come back for another campfire around, you know, <laughs> yeah. investing in companies. Well, and these, marshmallow, and, these marshmallows are great. I know. I, I've got to go and have some dinner. Um, but I, I, again, we didn't solve the world's problems. Um, we might have created a few. We've, we've created a few. Um, hashtag don't sue. But I don't know, Rebecca. I think reach out to me. Let me introduce you to an advisor. Um, Give me some details or just go to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help and we'll see if we can actually, um, because the good thing is if you change an advisor, they can just um, transfer the premium portfolio over to their portal and log in in the background. Yep. Um, but yeah, I'm just more worried about managing it yourself. Hmm. You know, if there's portfolio drift, if you might not have up-to-date research on some of the funds or equities that you're looking at and you just don't want to be tied to a dog for eight years. Correct. Um, so, yeah. What are you doing for dinner, Vince? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, mm. I was supposed to head off to a Pilates class 20 minutes ago. So um, that's not happening. I, that is not happening. So I now need to grab something to eat. So I will have to open the freezer and see what's there. I'm not with Vince in the flesh today. I was going to um, go down to his office, aka the Marmalinoani Sydney Day Studio. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I changed my plans. Simo Sid. Simo Sid. Yeah. All right. Well. Well, that was fun. There. Yeah. It was worth what you paid for, everyone. Shall we put the fire out? We'll put the fire out. Uh, be good, everyone. Let us know if you want us to cover any other things in a fireside chat. A lot of people write in like, go complex, go more deeper. It's like, it's it's actually hard because you to go more complex and to go deeper, you really need intimate personal details yeah. to really flesh out what you would actually do. Mm. Um, I mean, we spent a bit of time looking at Rebecca and we, we barely, scratched, barely scratched the surface. And the question that she asked, 
is actually a minor part of the answer. But we, Absolutely. and it's a good, that's a good sign. Sorry, that's a sign that we see a lot. So if you go through the questions in the M3 or many other forums on the internet, a lot of the questions that people get hung up on are actually second, third, or fourth order questions mm, and totally yeah you know, does it really matter whether you pay nine dollars or nine dollars 95 or five dollars a trade I don't think so in the scheme of things mm. sure four dollars is four dollars but yeah you know, compared to the cost of making the wrong buying decision that's academic and or compared to say, not investing it's academic I'd also say to Rebecca like you'd want to have you know, your own personal protection and insurances mm-hmm. in place with yep. a quality product by an advisor anyway. Yep. I mean, they need, you know, eyes thrown over them every couple of years, mm-hmm. at, at least for uh, insurances. So I just think there is always a good um, chance for an, a good advisor that matches you to add value. Yep. And there's a lot of, you know, nuance in that sentence, you know, good advisor. So picking mm. a good one is not as easy as it sounds. Um, mm. And making sure that they suit your needs and that they take you on the journey. Like, well, and that they've been around that. for a while. Like, you know, someone, yeah, who's, totally. someone who graduated last year and hasn't been through, well, they probably graduated into a downtown, so it's probably not mm-hmm. a bad thing. But, you know, most mm. people who haven't been around for 30 years don't remember what a recession looks like like we oh, talk about you know, we talk about um unemployment getting down to 5.7 or 8 we used to call that full employment 30 years ago yeah um, that's and, right and, yeah. and now it's a problem um now I, the 5.8 percent who were unemployed for them it's a real problem but mm. um you know they say that's the difference between a recession and a depression Recession is when mm. your mate loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. And, yeah. Um, but you that. do, <laughs> but you do need um, yeah, the benefits of having been through um, you know, a period of time where one of our biggest banks was this close to falling over mm. and needed to be. That was Suncorp, wasn't it? Westpac. And Westpac, yeah. So Westpac had to be rescued it was mm. um it was a basket case and um mm. yeah there was i heard yeah. you know w- when was that 91 G- 91 oh okay sorry when see i'm not that old <laughs> when i going through the gfc <laughs> i heard a rumor that the reason that the kevin rudd and the government bought in the 250k deposit guarantee is because there was a run on the banks and Suncorp were four days from being kaput. And I doubt they I doubt they were alone. That um yeah. yeah, that that is you know, the psychology of a bank run is um somewhere you just don't want to go. So mm. the idea of quick decisive action going, don't you worry about that. Quarter million dollars guaranteed by the government. Yep. And that alone was enough to stem a lot of that stuff. Um, mm. Whereas we saw, you know, Northern Rock in the UK, you know, the fourth biggest home lender in the country, um, there were queues around the block outside the branches and, um, yeah, it was dead within 
weeks. Um, it's now called Virgin Money, I think. But um, yeah, and the regulators have a habit of force fitting these things together. Um, mm. So, um, yeah, Bank West being acquired by the CBA, CBA in a transaction yeah. that probably wouldn't have been approved in ordinary times, mm. but was essential to protect the integrity of the financial systems. But yeah, ninety one was a serious route here. Um, mm. And then you go back before that to 87, you go back to the big 82, uh, you go back to 74 is the first one I remember. Um, mm. I wasn't very old at the time, but I do remember, um, I remember queuing up for petrol where you had to, we had even car regos on one day and uneven odd numbers on the other day and mm. um, rolling blackouts, um, unemployment queues, um, it was just, you know, we, we haven't seen anything close to that in most people's lifetimes who are alive today. And it's easy to forget. And the problem with financial, uh, personal finance is this only matters when it matters. And mm. if you've been, every recession is different in its own way, but if you've been through a few of them, you start to recognize what they look like and how you feel when it's happening around you. Um, I mean, you, you said, you know, even in 2008, um, I mean, I went to the, um, if anyone's watched the big short out there, I went to that conference that's shown in the video, but I went to the European one in May, uh, June, May, just, it was the week after the Cannes Film Festival, um, mm. and before the Grand Prix, Monaco Grand Prix. And, um, like 3000 of the smartest and brightest people in securitization got together this conference and to a man and most of them were men, but to a man, they were going, it's bad. It's a long time before it gets better, but the worst is behind us. Mm. And five months later, four months later, um, Lehman Brothers fell over and the world's probably never been the same since. So anyone who tells you they know what's coming, um, yeah, it might raise the hairs on the back of your neck because you've sort of seen this movie before, but you can never tell how it's actually going to pan out. But what you can do and is remember how you felt the last time. Yeah. And I would probably just in finishing, you know, when you do see an advisor and when the time is right to see an advisor, if they do not ask you, what do you want to achieve? What's yep. important to you? Uh, you need to run. Um, a friend of mine. Very fast. Yeah. A friend of mine in the States, uh, and we did an episode with his uh, widow a couple of years ago. When he died, I went up to the States um, and went to a financial advisor with Mel. And because she had a bit of wealth that we had to, you know, put to work and all that. And tracked down an advisor who, you know, was recommended. And not once in the meeting, he asked Mel, what do you want? What did your life look like in the next five years? What What's important to you? He just went to product mode. Like yeah. we can invest here, we can invest. It's like, no, mate, that comes after. That's right. That's not the question. That's not the problem we're trying to solve. Um, try, yeah. And if, if, you, if the word how do you feel doesn't get used, that's another red flag. Mm. And that's why much, like- Much the, of this is about managing emotions and feelings. And that's why, like, on sortyourmoneyout.com, when you click get help, 
I do have a panel of advisors all around Australia that I've known for some time and have been vetted. And, you know, do, do people get it right all the time? Of course not. But I know, you know, mistakes happen. We get that. You know, an email might get missed or whatever. But I know sending you to that advisor or mortgage broker is there's no malice or no initial deception, like they're coming from a good space. And mm. I think even Vince, every one of those advisors that I send people to own the practice. Mm. So it's a big thing for me. Like, will it be like that forever? Don't know. We're growing pretty fast, but at least they've got some close attachment to reputation risk. <laughs> yeah. And, and this business is about... Reputation. And you can be a good advisor and not own a business. I'm not saying that. But, um, yeah. mm. So, um, yes. So, find someone who w looks after people like you. And before you mm. can do that, you've got to know what matters to you. And then you can go looking for an advisor. And yeah. um, it's probably not a decision to be made on price. You've got to get that cultural alignment first. All right, Vince. Alrighty. Um, See you soon. Time, time to put the fire out. Talk soon. Cheers. Thanks for every. Thanks for the uh, three people that are still listening. <laughs> All right. Okay. If you're still listening to the very end, let me know. Okay. Bye. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter pretty litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness it's the world's smartest kitty litter Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.